And I actually want to get some of your input on this, just to see when we get into the point how close to the uh, mark I was. But everybody has ideas about what's sp- supposed to distinguish Christians from everybody else. So you've heard, you have friends who have views about what Christians should be like, right? Especially people outside the faith. What are, what, what would you say is a characteristic, just give me one, a characteristic that people have told you that they think should distinguish Christians from other people? What is it? What? Love? Okay, love. Generosity? Graciousness? Morality? A certain kind of, any kind of morality in particular or a certain kind of? <laughs> Waspy morality? No. Uh, what else? What? Humility. Humility? Ooh, good. Thank you, Diana. Always get that one in here. Think. Joy. Thanks, Sandy. Servant. Servant's heart. Okay. Peace. Peace too, Abby? Okay. Anything else? Obedience. Amen. That's Jesus' love language. He said, if you love me, obey my commands. Uh, what? Respect. Oh, I thought you were saying speaking in tongues. Someone asked me about that the other day. <laughs> Respect. Okay. Now, there is, a, there is a group of people who say speaking in tongues is what distinguishes you, but I'm not sure that that's true. But Jay? Oh, did you say an amen? Okay. So what is it? Well, I want to take you to a prayer of Moses. And so if you have... A Bible with you, open it to Exodus chapter 33. And if you don't, there are paperback Bibles like these, looks like this, under the chairs and fr- chair seats in front of you. And Exodus 33 is found on page 63. This is a, sort of a famous prayer if you've been around the church for a while. And Exodus 33, let's look starting at verse 12. Here's what it says. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. So he's saying to God, God, you've said this to me. I know you, Moses, and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, he's up on a mountain at this point, and all the people are gathered around this mountain. They're out in the desert. They've been delivered from Egypt. And so he's he's praying and saying, God, we're your people. And all these people below are your people. Then the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Now, they're traveling from Egypt somewhere, and they're, they're going through a desert. You can imagine what that must have been like. And so God says, my presence is going to be with you, and I'm going to give you rest. And that was, a, that was a promise. It wasn't just, I'm going to, you know, create a lot of hammocks for you to have a nice, comfortable. It, it, it was a, it was a, a picture of this all-consuming goodness and wholeness that, that was going to be, you're going to be blessed with. God said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to, you know, cause you to thrive. Then Moses said to him, verse 15, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that we are, that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Now here's the, here's the money line. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. So what he's saying is, not that all those other things that you said weren't good in terms of things that distinguish followers of Jesus from everybody else. Ultimately, what is supposed to, to distinguish Christians from everybody else is that, the pre- just like the Jewish people, they were people of the presence. He said, we're glad that you're promising us, you know, a, a rich life and, a, and a, a blessed life. But 
The only thing that distinguishes us from everybody else is that your presence goes with us. And it's a sign that God has accepted us, is that his presence goes with us. So when Christians, when you see the bumper says, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. It should say, people who are forgiven enjoy the presence of God. Because forgiveness is a sign of reconciliation, and it's a sign that God's presence is with us. And it's not because we're good, because forgiveness implies we've been broken and wrong in all the wrong ways. And despite that, God's forgiveness and given us his presence. And so it's this thing that he meant, you're going to see in a second, he, he means everybody to enjoy it. So it's not, it doesn't mark us out like we're special because we're special. We're special because he's special. It's his presence. Not, not that we aren't image bearers of God, but we're really broken. And image bearers of God can just do the craziest things. But when, like the New Testament describes us as being earthen vessels, clay vessels, but we're clay vessels that contain a treasure, which is an interesting picture, isn't it? Because when you think of a treasure, people who have treasures tend to, to buy these really beautiful containers for them, right? And, and, and the container and the treasure sort of fit each other and suit each other. But God says, you're just clay vessels, wonderful, amazing clay vessels, but clay vessels nevertheless. But I'm going to fill you with my treasure. And what's the treasure? Him, his presence. So Moses, he, he prayed this prayer. Now, let me tell you something about the context of this. This is important to pick out because this is kind of where it fits us. Moses has just come back from spending 40 days on the mountain, and God cut out two tablets and wrote the words of the covenant on the two tablets and gave them to Moses. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses stayed there. He didn't eat and he didn't drink. God spoke to him. And when he, he and Joshua come down, because Joshua was with him, when they come down from the mountain, does anybody, any good Bible scholars out there know what they encountered? The very first thing. Well, there was a party going on. But it, but it wasn't like, you know, a holy celebration. It was like Mardi Gras. I don't know if you've ever been to Mardi Gras before, but I used to do outreach ministries in Mardi Gras back in the 70s. And it was crazy back then. Now it's even crazier. But they came down from the mountain, and Joshua goes, I hear the sound, you know, of celebrating. And, uh, but it's the sound of war. Like, it's interesting. He heard something, and he did have some discernment. But Moses said, no, no, no. It's not, it's not celebrating. It's not victory or defeat. It's the sound of partying. And the people, because Moses had delayed, the people had made a golden calf. And they were worshiping it around it. And they were just, they were having a, a, a sexual orgies. And, and it's just, it was just the, the most degrading thing you could imagine after they'd been delivered from Egypt and God had provided for them. That Moses stays up on the mountain for a while and there's a cloud of uh, all around the mountain and God's presence is there and they can hear the lightning and God's voice. And they descend back into this, you know, pagan idolatry and just start cr corrupting themselves again after God delivered them, showed them, you know that world's empty. Those guys oppressed you. When you embrace those kinds of gods, they, they, they turn you into what they are. And then you take advantage of other people. But I come to lift you up out of that and to restore justice and love and truth in the American way. No. Uh, at its best, yes. And he says, Moses says, this doesn't sound good. And anyway, Moses gets upset. He comes and sees the people. He breaks the tablets. It's, it's a symbolic kind of judgment. You're breaking the covenant before I even showed you the covenant, right? 
God's coming to make a covenant with them. He's coming to make them his special people through whom he can reveal himself to the whole world. And they're already, you know, just diving off into the pool of craziness. And so Moses is just brokenhearted. And there's like a whole scene where he kind of calls the people to repentance. And then what God says to him after that is, is and we didn't read it, but it started verse 33 or chapter 33 started with this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you're stiff-necked, and if I were to go up with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I'll decide what to do with you. Then the Israelites stripped off their ornaments, ornaments on Mount Horeb, and then they had a meeting, and then Moses went back up to the mountain. Uh, after he has this conversation with God, he goes back up to the mountain, and we'll, we'll touch on that in just a second. But... What, what he's saying to the people is, listen, I promised you the promised land, and I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to go with you. I'll send an angel to go with you. So he says, I'll give you the presence, but not the presence. Do you get it? I'll give you the presence. You'll get the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll drive out your enemies. This angel will, will make it all work, but I'm not going to go with you. Because I'm holy and, and you don't want to be holy. And you don't realize who it is you're dealing with. And if you want me among you, you know, it could get dicey living the way you want to live. If you don't want a covenant, you don't want all the things that I, I planned for you, I'll give you the presence and you can be like everybody else. And then that's when Moses prays his prayer. He goes, no, God, no. <laughs> we want you. We don't want the presence. We want the presence, you. You. You're the treasure. All that stuff is good. There's other nations that have what you're giving us. We won't be any different than them. They, see, Moses knew something that, that we, we forget. Because it's easy for us to think, because of who we are in Christ, that we still don't wrestle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that it doesn't shape us and doesn't influence us. And if we just want the presence, if we just want the baubles, if we just want peace, God says, hey, if you want to settle, I'll let you settle. And I'll send an angel in front of you, but I'm not going to go. If you want to be my people and you want my presence, I want that for you. And I want more for you than you want for yourself. But you've got to choose between the presence or the presence. And it isn't one or the other. You'll see. He wants us to have the presence in their proper place, but he wants us to have the presence, capital P. Him. And this is always the struggle we have. John Wesley said it years ago when they used to preach to really poor people and they'd see them converted. What he would see was, he said, among the Methodists, all these people were heretofore poor. Then they begin to follow Jesus and they begin to not spend their money on drinking and gambling and wasting it on all kinds of things that, you know, just burn it up. And they begin to be blessed. And then their hearts get turned away from God by the blessing. And it isn't one or the other. But if we don't anchor ourselves in this unrelenting pursuit of God first, not the American lifestyle, because that's who I'm speaking to. The American lifestyle is an idol. A lot of people, unfortunately, move to America we, we want to tell ourselves, we wave our flag and say, they're moving here because of freedom, and there's some truth in that. But let me tell you something. I talked to enough immigrants. They're moving here because the lifestyle here is amazing. The opportunities here are amazing. Now, is that a bad thing? No. But we like to tell ourselves that we're 
a city on a hill. And maybe we could be. But the American materialistic lifestyle, like I said last week, the money God, it is a, it's a powerful God. It is the most powerful God. It is the God that challenged Jesus, I think, the most. And Americans will prove they'll do anything for that God. We will, we will sacrifice our children. We'll sacrifice our health. We'll sacrifice our faith. We will sacrifice everything for the money God. And Jesus is telling them, I have money for you. He says, I'm gonna, I want to take care of you and provide for you. I wanna, I wanna, if you'll be generous, I'll bless you to the point where it's, it's pouring out, out of your lap. Like someone who just keeps pouring grain into a sack and it just overfills the sack up and then it overflows. But he knows that, that presence, little p, could corrupt us and fill our hearts and choke off our love for the capital P presence, the person, Jesus. And it just happens so easily. It just happens so gradually. It just happens so matter-of-factly. And Jesus said, if you have more than enough, way more than enough, which is a lot of us in this room, he said, be careful. Be careful when you have way more than enough because it's really hard to really see what all that stuff can do to your heart. Like I said last week about generosity, that's one of the antidotes for the love of little P presence. And people, you know, I'm not a perfect person, but I've had a lot of people over the years say to me, when I talk about giving, you know, blah, 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 and I go, brother, sister, you know, if, if the, the people who I've seen have the, the greatest longevity of healthy spirituality and, and a healthy relationship with God are always generous people. They always are. They may not make a lot of money. They may make a lot of money, but they're really generous people, and they're moving up that generosity ladder. Because if you want to be like Jesus, you want to move towards sacrificial generosity. Because that's where your joy and your treasure is then. It's in heaven, and you're not, you don't worry about what's on earth and where your next meal is going to come from. Because you know, it's safe. And so Jesus, he, he's in this story here. I'll get, I'll get to him in a second. So Moses said... When God offered Moses and the people the presence, little p, he said, no. We want you. Don't send us up from here unless you go with us, unless you lead us. There's something he's saying there. He's not saying, God, we want to go on our journey to do whatever we want, and we just want you to bless it. Whatever we want, you bless it. That's American Christianity. He says, Moses says, no. This is what a good leader says. He says, no, you're in charge. He, he, he led them to that point. I'll show you in a second. A, a, a cloud had rested on them. And the cloud would move, and they would move with the cloud. When the cloud stopped, they'd stop. When the cloud moved, they'd move. I mean, they could just have started their campfires, and the cloud moved, and they go, oh, throw some water on the campfire, like Smokey the Bear says, and we're going, <laughs> Right? Cover up the latrines. But, but, but we didn't get to cook food. It's okay, the cloud moved. Like that sister said over there, obedience. Obedience. Sometimes obedience is costly. Oftentimes obedience is inconvenient. But obedience is a sign of love. It's a sign of respect. All the, all the words that you use, they come from the presence. Being people of the presence. The presence is what makes us a servant. The presence is what makes us loving and gracious and humble and all those things. The little P, the big P presence is what does that. The little P presence is what turns us into everything but what we listed earlier. So we're born to be people of the presence. Like the song that Adam sang, we are no longer slaves of fear, we are children of God. And children of God are born to be people of the presence. 
that the presence of God would be manifestly with us. Again, not with our agenda, but with his. So what does it mean to be a people of the presence? Let me, I'm just going to, like a rock, skip across a bunch of verses. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, it says, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit was hovering over the earth. It wasn't perfect. And then the Word spoke and said, Let there be light, and there was light. You see the Father, Son, the Spirit there. But the Spirit was hovering. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the earth from outer space. But what, what is one of the things that you always see? You always see. There's a, there's a lot of things you see, but there's one thing. I already mentioned this. Just one word I'm looking for. You see clouds. You always see clouds. And it's this picture of the cloud. This, this word, the cloud, comes, is, is a big part of the book of Exodus. Actually, it's a big part of, of the story of God all the way through the Bible, even in the New Testament. But there is a, a cloud, a symbol, what we call a cloud. God's presence in the Holy Spirit seems like a cloud. And if you go through the story of God's people, you see the cloud appearing over and over and over and over and over and over. And they referred to it. And it was, it was God's presence. Like in Exodus 33 or 13:22, let me go back to that. I'll read it to you. I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to get through this just real quick. 13:22. It says, "After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night." Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God's presence guided them and blessed them and protected them. We could go back. We could trace this. I don't have time to. But it's this, it's this picture. It's a kind of unusual. And I've seen this myself. I've been in rooms before where the presence of God will start manifesting, and there's like a cloud in the room. It's a very interesting thing. And I've seen it at times, and, and I've experienced a, like a holy awe and fear. And people will, without anybody saying it, just people will begin to fall on their faces and just humble themselves before God and say, God, you're great. You're so great. I have no words to describe what I'm experiencing. He's like that. That's what the cloud brings oftentimes, amongst other things. Uh, in Matthew 17... Verse 5, Jesus went up on a mountain. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he was praying. And while he was praying, it says a cloud descended on the mountain. And then God spoke and, and said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples, are, you know, they see uh, Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus. And they're like overwhelmed. And, you know, Peter says, let's build a tabernacle here because that's what they built when the cloud came in the Old Testament. But Jesus was the true tabernacle and they were going to become the tabernacle of God, the dwelling of God. And it just didn't work going backwards. I mean, that's just a lesson. God's always going forward. He's always doing something that's fresh and different. But we always want to cling on to the past because it's familiar. But this cloud came down and... In the Old Testament, Moses' face would, would glow, but it would fade. And Paul said, because the Spirit and what he, the administration of the Spirit with Moses, as great as it was, wasn't, wasn't anything compared to what it was going to be for, through Jesus and for the people of God now, that we were going to be able to enjoy the presence indwelling us, not just being kind of with us, but indwelling us and being with us. And so, in Acts 2, and this is, the, this is the passage, I think, that's the one that, uh, I'll just take a second and read it to you. 
In Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, have you ever seen or heard of like a strong wind coming when there wasn't a cloud? I know it, it, can, it can happen. Someone just nodded their head, it can happen. But I mean, when there's a storm coming and there's a tornado, it doesn't typically happen on a, on a blue cloudless sky. And all the pictures in the Old Testament of, of, the, of the cloud that came, there was thunder and storm and lightning and like fire. The presence of God descended on this group of people and filled them with the Holy Spirit. So the promise that Jesus experienced, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, now came upon all those who followed him, who believed in him, no matter who they were. He'd already shown them that, you know, the fishermen, the tax collector, the the political zealot, all the different people that nobody else really that the religious people wrote off and said, you know, you guys, you know, we're grateful you give us your money, but you're not very holy. And Jesus didn't come looking for holy people. He came just looking for people who were available, who were hungry. And then he transformed them. So what, is, what happens when the Spirit falls? Look with me. Peter says in verse 14, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter must not have been around people who are alcoholics. <laughs> just tell you that. That's, that. That is a hole in his answer, just to tell you the truth. You know, it's, it's a struggle. Or, you know, I remember getting up in the morning and, and taking a joint, just starting first thing in the morning. You know, I was a pothead. And people do get high first thing in the morning, Peter. But anyway, sorry. Uh, no, this is what was spoken. So he was, but he was saying all these people, right? I mean, these are all pretty God-fearing, pious people. Uh, maybe one or two of them might be like that, but not the whole. And he quoted Joel, which was, Joel the prophet was, was, had, was describing a time where the Spirit was going to be poured out in the latter days. And, and, the, and when Jesus came, the last days started. And when the spirit, all the Jews knew when the Spirit was poured out, that was a sign the end of the world had started. That the end of this present evil age that we're living in, it had been condemned at the cross, and it was judged, and now it was starting to be replaced. Just like Daniel saw the, the stone, right? I always refer to this. The stone in the vision that struck the statue, which symbolized all the kingdoms of this world, even the United States, you understand? The United States is part of that statue. That's hard for me. I'm an American. I love my country. But it's part of that statue. You should love your country, whether you're from Ethiopia or the United States or wherever. But you, we should all know all of our countries are part of that statue that the stone is going to strike and it's going to blow away. And the stones become a giant mountain that's going to fill the earth. It's going to replace all the statues that weren't even in that vision. And he's saying this group of people who experienced the Holy Spirit, it started. The Holy Spirit came on them. The manifest presence of God, the cloud descended on them. And the end of the world had started. The end of the world is not, you know, on a calendar the way we think of it. We have to think differently. The coming of the Holy Spirit is what signals the end of the world. And then when Jesus returns to consummate everything that he started, we live in this sandwich between the two comings of Jesus. And the, but it, the, the time between the two comings of Jesus started in Genesis 1 where the cloud was over the whole earth. And it's going to end where the glory of the Lord covers the whole earth through the preaching of the kingdom. And then Jesus is going to return. And so, 
a little cloud fell in this little group of people in Jerusalem, and then it started spreading. It started spreading. And sometimes it seems like the, the sky clears and the cloud's gone, and then the cloud comes back. But what we can't see because our lives are so short, and sometimes we can't see because we lack historical perspective, is we can't see that the cloud is not diminishing. The cloud is increasing. And the cloud moves wherever it wants. Like John said in John 3, the Spirit blows wherever He wants. But wherever the Spirit blows, what, what He says here, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, stop with me for a second. He says, those old people, young people, men and women, even servants, even female servants. He's, Joel strained to draw a circle that was big enough to, to encompass everybody. Because what religion does is religion always draws circles that just include what they think are the worthy people. And God comes along and says, no, let's make that circle a lot bigger to include all these people who nobody else thinks matter. And he says, when they, those people who nobody else matters because the presence comes upon them, when they prophesy, here's what he says happens. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. In the Old Testament, signs and wonders happen when the prophets prophesied. He's saying now, your teenage kids are going to prophesy and there's going to be signs and wonders. These black Ethiopians are going to prophesy and there's going to be signs and wonders. These Latinos are going to be back by uh, the, the stoves cooking and they're going to start prophesying and signs and wonders are going to happen. And the old women are going to prophesy. And the old men are going to prophesy. And what he's saying is, in a sense, when the Spirit comes, all the ways that the world and its injustice has broken things are going to begin to be transformed. And this dignity that's in all these people that, nobody, that most people don't recognize is suddenly going to be restored. And their lives are going to matter, and they're going to be vital. And, and the world, like we said a few weeks ago, the world's not going to flourish without them. But that happens because they become that, people of the presence. That's what distinguishes us, or that must distinguish us. And he says, I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming and great, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, the presence because of Jesus can fall on everyone. And when the presence falls, Everything changes. Everyone changes. And so, and so we, here's, the, here's the, 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 the dividing line. And this is a question that only you can answer. I can't answer it. No one can look at another person and say without uh, question which side of this dividing line that they're on. But I'll suggest something to you that might, if, you're, if you don't know, because sometimes we don't know our own heart, and we need God to speak to us. But people who hear this tend to fall into one or two categories, just two categories. I want the little P presence. I want to be pious. And I want the presence of God when it blesses me. Or I just want the capital P presence no matter what. If I, have to, if, if I lose everything, I still want the presence. If I lose my health, like Job. If I lose my family, like Job. If I lose my possessions, like Job. If I start losing my mind, like Job. I still want the capital P presence. And trust me, <laughs> there's lots of ways you can distinguish it, but I'll, I'll, I'll suggest one to you. Because it's, it's at the heart of what he said here. 
And if you read the word cloud, if you go through the word, if you, if you study the word cloud, you're going to see something that connects cloud in most of those stories. When we want the capital P presence, we give time to seeking that presence. It's the single most distinguishing characteristic of someone who wants the capital P presence is you see that capital P presence showing up on their calendar and their schedule with time. That they invest time in knowing God. And you go, well, I pray. I pray all the time. Our prayers reveal whether it's capital P that we want or it's little p. Because if my prayers are consumed with me, or even other people that matter to me, it's about me. It's not about the capital P. Does that make sense? And I can, I can listen to my prayers, and there'll be times where I can hear myself praying, and suddenly I realize I'm not like Moses. I'm not just saying, God, I just want you. I want more of you. And I think it's a reflection uh, of the time we live in. We, you know, I, 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 I think I try to warn you guys in a, in a, in a godly way, and in a, in a way that I hope doesn't, you know, make you feel ashamed, but we live in a very materialistic community. And the love of money will choke off the word of God. It will choke off your love for God. And it, I believe in a lot of ways in our church, it's choked off the love of God to some degree in all of our hearts. It's hard for it not to because we don't just live in Columbus. Most of us live around Dublin. And Dublin is particularly a fluent place. And so we look around at the signs of affluence and we don't realize the coin of affluence has two sides. That having a nice car or a nice house or a nice bank account or, or a nice job or a title or whatever is not bad in and of itself. But we have to look with the eyes of the Spirit and say, but there's a danger in that stuff. Jesus didn't say it's hard for the poor to enter the kingdom of God. There's a reason why he said that. When you have a lot more than you need, it's dangerous in this present evil age that we live in. And so what you'll see about prayer is the, the, the key to being a people of the presence is about waiting. It's about prayer and waiting. And I'm telling you, you can trace this through story after story after story, like starting in Acts 2 and go back. When Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit, he promised them the presence he told them to go to Jerusalem and you guys are so timid. At the end of this teaching, you should be tracking with me here. I have to work on this teaching here. Wait, pray, wait, pray for the capital P presence. Wait until the presence comes. So don't pray until your, your hip pain is gone. That's good. You can pray till your hip pain's gone, but keep praying until the presence falls. Do you understand? Now, sometimes when the presence falls, the hip pain goes too. Sometimes when the presence falls, the misbehaving children straighten out. Sometimes when the presence falls, the marital problems dissipate. But we are too quick to pray until the little pea we're seeking presents itself to us. And then that exposes our hearts when our prayer consists of the little P. And we have to stop and say, I need to embrace a lifestyle where I have rhythms of waiting every day for the presence. And God does not delay long over people and a people who will wait for his capital P presence. 
He, he doesn't. History proves it over and over and over and over and over and over. I just was reading about a revival that happened in the Hebrides, which, if you don't know, it's kind of off Scotland. There's a bunch of islands. And I read about it 35 years ago, and I'd kind of forgotten about it. I was reading a book this week, about halfway through it, and they talked about this revival. And this revival started, uh, there's about 60 islands in the Hebrides, and it's about 1,000 square miles, and there's like 30,000 people. But this, this revival sparked a revival all over the world. And these, these two elderly women, two elderly sisters, one of them was blind. or what, what, She was blind? Yeah, I think she was blind. And the other one had some kind of other, you know, age-related sickness. And they were so, they, they lived uh, in proximity to where they saw a bunch of young people. And they, they looked around in their church and they said, there's no young people. And why aren't the young people hungry for God? And they began to pray for them. And it, it's an amazing story of how God started this awakening of the Spirit with these two elderly women who couldn't do anything else in their lives. And they said, we can't do anything else, but we're going to pray because we care about our community and about those young people. And they began to pray, and this revival broke out that was, you know, historic. But what it was is they prayed for the present. They prayed for the the capital P. And they shaped their lives around a rhythm of waiting. So I want to suggest something to you. I, I've been talking about this with our staff, and I, don't, I, I honestly don't have an answer, except I believe, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, I want to give you new wine, but you don't know how to pray. And I think the kind of prayer we've learned how to pray is like a wineskin. And that, that we're, we need to learn how to pray differently than we know how to pray. And so I prayed a lot in my life, but I'm at this point where I'm going, I think the Lord wants to teach us something new. And I think it's going to be birthed out of waiting. And I believe the Lord's inviting us into, and I don't know what it looks like right now, Except I, I do know two things that I, I, I feel like I can say with some confidence. If you are tired of your heart being drawn more to the little P, the presence, than the capital P, presence of God, I, I, this is a prescription for you. I think it's for all of us. Because I'm telling you, whatever we think of ourselves, we suck at prayer as a church. We do. If I said I was giving $500 bills out at 7 in the morning, if you'll show up at the vineyard, there would be a line of people out that front door for that. But to say we're going to pray at 7 a.m., people don't show up for that. Now, some of it's scheduled. Some people have to be work early. But if I said 6 or 5, and it's because we're praying about our little P's and not the big P. And so I want to ask you, whatever side of that you're on, you're, only you know. And, and Adam, would you come on up? Uh, there's two things I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, to take 15 minutes and just wait. Don't pray. Wait. God told Moses, go back up to the mountain, stand on this rock, and he said, I'm going to put you in this rock, and then I'm going to come by, and I'm going to reveal myself to you, and then everything's going to change. So he said, go up to the mountain by yourself, stand on that rock, and in the cleft of the rock, he said, I'm not going to show you my face, because Moses couldn't see God's face. We can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus now. The name of Jesus is the rock. But we go to the mountain and we look for God in the person of Jesus. And then the cloud comes and God speaks and then everything changes. That's the pattern. Go to the mountain in the name of Jesus and wait. This is waiting. Go Wait 
in the name of Jesus, and he will speak, and then things will change. The cloud will come. It's come over and over and over and over and over. It's going to come again. It's going to come in just gentle, powerful ways and scary ways. In ways that are hard for you to get your head around and ways that just break your heart. And morning, afternoon, evening, do 15 minutes of just silence. Just wait. And if that spurs an appetite in you to say something, I want to encourage you to start praying the Psalms. Find a psalm. If after that 15 minutes you just want to pray, don't pray about your stuff first. God is going to teach us how to pray again. And I, the, 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 the prayer book of the Bible is the book of Psalms. And I think the Lord wants to teach us how to pray again by praying the prayers of God's people throughout history. And then after you do that, then pray your prayers for the things that concern you. Because they, they matter to God. I'm not trying to say they don't matter to God. What I'm saying is we have to get our eyes on him first. Because the little P becomes the center instead of the big P. And the little P will come if the big P is in the center. We will, we will be cared for. Jesus said, seek my kingdom first and my righteousness and everything you need will be added to you. The, the, the idea of being added means I'll give you more and more and more of it. Do you get that? But not if we seek the little P presence first. And then last of all, we have a once a month night of prayer. I want to, we're going to cut it down to just 6 p.m. to midnight. And I want to ask you to show up, even for just a half an hour, and participate here in this building. One of the things that we are not doing well is doing things together. And there's something about, like Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I know you can pray at home. I'm just encouraging you to come together. There's something that happens, a synergy, a connection that happens, a voice. You bring something. You bring something to the party. And God shows up when we do that. And there's a, the word there in Greek is the word homothumadon. And if you go through the book of Acts, it's mentioned over and over and over and over and over. And it's always mentioned, almost always mentioned around prayer, but it's always mentioned where God's presence is being poured out. Because he's the only one that can get everybody all together in one place with one mind and one heart. So I just want to invite you to do that. And if you have kids, let one parent come and pray for a little while, go home, get, let the other parent come. And, and I want to encourage as many of you as can to come and start doing this. It's just once a month. I think it's a starting place for us. It's something we've done in our church for 35 years. When our church just used to meet in a house on Neal Avenue when we were planting it in the Ohio State campus area, and there would be 30, 40, 50 of us in this house praying all night, the Holy Spirit would fall on us in ways that would scare us. Just We would just have, um, uh, Joanne uh, Russo was just here, not Russo, Joanne Sage, I, I married her when she was single, her and her husband, which is a good thing when people are single, that's when you want to marry them, uh, I remember when the spirit fell one night, we were, we were just about, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and we usually would take a break, and we would all get in cars and go down to Buckeye Donuts and get some donuts and drink some coffee and, you know, talk to the strange people that are in Buckeye Donuts at 2.30 in the morning. And uh, we all started just singing and, and praying, and it just got louder and louder and louder. And then there was literally like this. There was this clap, and the Holy Spirit fell, and people just fell back over chairs. People started crying. Joanne, she always laughs. Joanne started laughing uncontrollably. For hours. And she can tell you the story. People started confessing their sins. We weren't preaching. We were praying. 
We've been praying since 6 o'clock, so it was about eight hours of prayer, all of us in this room. And, and it, the only reason why our, our church is here today, whatever it is, and we've touched a lot of people over the years, is because we prayed over and over and over and over, and we sought the Lord like that. And I think that's, listen, you guys, some of you have, there's only a few people like Roy, Rick's dad, was here back in the earliest days, and, and Kathy and I, I'm looking around, I don't think anybody else was even there back then. No, not enough gray hair. But that's in our genetic code. It is in our genetic code, and it is not a recessive gene. It doesn't skip a generation. It is at the heart of who we have been called to be as a church. And I really believe God's saying, he's inviting us. There's this invitation. He, this is, we're born to be a people of the presence. So I just want to stop now and ask you to do something. Just pause with me and ask the Lord. And if you already know it, you can just tell him in your own heart. We're going to just close with one song again. If you've been a person, more a person of the little P than a person of the big P, it's just time to, to talk to Jesus about that and say, Lord, sorry, I, I've gotten caught up in those things. And they matter, but they're not the heart of the matter. You are. And I want my heart to be after you. And, and you may think, I don't know if I've ever been like that. I think I've been a Christian for a long time, but I don't know if I've ever been passionately like that. Jesus is the only one that can help you be like that. So you just call out to him and say, Jesus, I've been using you. I don't want to use you or anybody anymore. Forgive me and start a work in my heart. And he will answer this prayer, I promise you. And it will be scary the way he does it. But just pray that prayer right now in your own words. If you've been chasing the little P presence. And then once you do that, as we sing this song, there's someone... God wants to give you a vision of who he is. And when you wait on him, he says, here back in this passage, he told Moses, he said, uh, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He wants to come and begin to reveal our, himself to us so 